0: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser on Bloomberg Radio. All right, everybody, you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. It is Tuesday. Carol Masser in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, all right. You might have heard this company before because when Bloomberg's News Stocks Editor Dave Wilson, he profiled this company. It was a stock of the day. He did this back in November. I knew I wanted to know more. It's a small cap. It's got about a $1.1 billion market cap when public over the summer. We're talking about Vital Farms. It runs a sustainable and ethical business. We're talking about eggs and butter from pasture raised animals. So I wanted to know more about this business. So let's get into it. with Russell Diaz Canseco. He's president and CEO at Vital Farms. He joins us on the phone from Austin, Texas. Russell, so delighted to have you here with us. First of all, how are you? What, what impact did kind of COVID have on your world personally and professionally?
1: Thanks for having me, Carol. Yeah. Um, so I think like so many parts of the economy and people in this country, we've been pretty substantially impacted uh, by COVID. Um, we've always been focused on keeping our people safe and healthy. And so in our egg packing facility in Springfield, Missouri, we've adopted a lot of um, You know, a lot of um, new processes and tools to help keep people safe and very happy to say we've just had a handful of positive cases there in a crew of over a 100. In Austin, we closed our office back in March, and I, Mm -hmm. along with everyone else, has been working remotely since then, and it's a little lonely, but I'm thankful that we have... The opportunity to stay safe in that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you sound like a lot of other, you know, CEOs, you know, and what they had to do to adapt. And there's still a lot of working from home as we know it. Um, what did it do for business and demand? I'm curious.
1: Well, like many food companies, when that pantry stocking period hit, kind of mid March to mid April, we, like many other companies, saw a huge increase in demand from retailers as they were seeing their shelves get cleared out and you know, that demand was well above our ability to fill all the orders. And I think that's pretty consistent throughout, you know, throughout grocery Mm -hmm. retail. It's hard to get our chickens to lay eggs faster on demand,
0: unfortunately. (laughs) It's funny how they don't work Uh, that way. As much as we've tried. (laughs) Right, right. Um, A lot lot of technology advancements, but that doesn't quite work out. So, So you had demand and you just met as much as you could.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have been and continue to be a hyper growth company for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And so we're always planning for that growth. And so thankfully, we had uh, we had a lot of supply relative to kind of the orders that that came in uh, since then. Um, but it, you know, I, it would be great to have more. Yeah,
0: yeah, no. And I mean, I'm assuming so that demand has kept up, correct?
1: Yes, we're, we're still seeing orders that are above pre COVID levels. And frankly, above what we would have projected at this time, uh, prior to COVID hitting,
0: So talk to me a little bit, Russell, about what you are doing. Um, I'm definitely all in when it comes to organic. I've done a lot of stories on Whole Foods and how they, you know, um, certainly pre-Amazon days, you know, and how they worked with suppliers about, you know, they care about how they access food and how it's, you know, sourced and how it's produced. Um, Chipotle was very much that way, you know, ethically farming. Um, tell us about your approach specifically.
1: Sure, and I should give a shout-out to Whole Foods, which you you mentioned. Mm -hmm. We got our start with the benefit of a local producer loan from them back in 2007, 2008. Right. Um, And they've been wonderful at fostering companies like ours. Um, There are two things that I'd call out. First of all, um, we're focused primarily on eggs and butter, and our eggs and butter are produced by animals that are pasture-raised, which for us that means uh, meaningful outdoor access year-round. And we follow standards uh, that third-party Groups have developed like Certified Humane uh, and Whole Foods itself, and we also have our own internal standards. Um, but the other thing that differentiates us is that our company was founded with, with the notion that uh, uh, under, the, under the notion of conscious capitalism or what's been popularized by, by the B Corp movement, that business deserves to have a higher purpose than, than just making profits and that, that those two things can coexist.
0: And are you guys, a, you're not a B Corp though, right? No
1: we are. We're not, we're not just a B Corp. We're you a certified are. public benefit
0: corporation. You are. It's interesting because I just had a conversation with the Patagonia head, uh, Jenna Johnson, and we were talking about that. Like, there is something, and I, and I feel like the world, especially the investment world, we're, we're starting to see it certainly with the movement in ESG, but there needs to be a lot more transparency, right, between, you know, there are companies that say they're doing good, and then there are companies that are saying it and actually doing it.
1: Yeah, I think that there are a lot of organizations that are trying to bring that mm-hmm. transparency and validation, uh, you know, to the investor world and to, frankly, the entire uh, stakeholder community. I think, you know, a few, including B Corp, have, have made great progress. There's um, there's a con- a group called uh, SASB, which is uh-huh. uh, the sustainability metrics, right? And, and I think that over time, hopefully, the industry will coalesce around one or two of these folks that uh, we all can trust.
0: What's the toughest part of doing what you do uh, in the way that you're doing it? You know, as we talk about this conscious capitalism. Um, but I mean, is it easy to do or is it difficult? And I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you give up in terms of profitability? I think it's great what you're doing and I like it and I bought your eggs and, and other stuff. But I just wonder, I appreciate you know, that. what do you give up in terms of, of profitability to do what you're doing?
1: You know, it's, it's very, it's interesting. I've, I've had quite a personal journey, um, along those lines. I went to a fancy business school in the late 90s and I remember having the debate about the role of the corporation and the, and the duty of management and whether it ought to be solely to maximize shareholder value yeah. or to something else. And I was firmly in the Friedman camp in 98 when mm-hmm. we had that debate. What changed my mind and what I think the unlock for me about why it's it's not a trade-off between purpose and profits
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that we work with all of our stakeholders, such as our employees, our farmers, our customers, the, the community, and we we work for the long-term sustainability of each of them. And, and frankly, we see them as true co-creators. And when you do that in a way that I got to see it being done here,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think you actually grow the pie. Yeah. And so it's not about just redistributing. I actually think we get better outcomes.
0: I mentioned early, earlier, it was uh, one of the IPOs of the year. Uh, it's a small cap with about a $1.1 billion market cap. And it is running a sustainable and ethical business, uh, eggs and butter uh, from pasture-raised animals. So Russell, so what's next for you guys? And what's the biggest challenges? I wonder, is it, is it finding land? Is it, I don't know, what is it?
1: That's a great, big question. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the reality is we're so early in this journey. We're in under 4% of U.S. households today. Yeah. And what we do is so different, not just in terms of kind of the animal welfare standards uh, we uphold, but, but in terms of just our approach to business and the way that we work with our stakeholders that our biggest opportunity and our biggest challenge is simply educating the consumer about what we do. And often when we are able to do that, we get a new one. Um we've had a steady increase in household penetration year after year after year. We're in over 16,000 uh, retail locations across the country, mm-hmm. um, and yet it still feels like we're just getting started.
0: Well, and I got to say, it's interesting, there's a couple things along, like I tend to shop around the exterior of a supermarket for the most part, but when I go to certain things, whether it's I'm picking milk, whether I'm picking eggs, like there are a million choices, you know, so it is a bit of a crowded space. And I'm often like, you know, you know, there are differences, and you really have to be smart about what you're buying. So you say that you guys have about 4% of households, how big a market can you really realistically think you can achieve at some point?
1: Sure. Again, just to be clear, we have
0: less than 4%. Or less than 4%, under 4%. 4%. But, um, how, but how big do you think you can, like in terms of yeah. that market share pie, what do you think is realistic? Especially because there are choices. And to be fair, you know, not everyone can necessarily afford to pay for the eggs like you guys offer and some others, whether they're organic or free range and so on.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a very fair question. Uh, two things I'd point to that suggest that there's a lot more room, mm-hmm. even in the categories we're already in. And before we talk about maybe new products, we might, might we might launch. Yeah. The first is that. Um, so if you. Uh, yes, there's lots of uh, confusing confusing claims uh, on the shelf. But if you take all the eggs, for example, that are marketed as either free range or pasture raised, which is basically those that are marketed as having outdoor access for the birds mm-hmm. in uh, in the natural and organic channel, the places like Whole Foods and Sprouts, over 50% of the dollar value of eggs sold in those channels are that kind, that, that kind that has an outdoor access claim. Um, and, in, and in conventional grocery, it's more like 5%. Mm-hmm. So one way to think about it is if you believe that those uh, what's, what's popular in natural and organic places like Whole Foods and Sprouts may portend... Uh, what might become mainstream in the future, you could imagine that we could see continued growth beyond uh, the 5% share in conventional grocery. The other thing I'd point out is that um, we look a little further out to the example in, in the United Kingdom, where I think consumers are, um, I think they've been voting with their dollars for a more conscious food system for a while longer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and there, outdoor eggs, those same kind of free-range and pasture-raised eggs, are over 72% of the retail value of eggs sold in the United Kingdom.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty significant. All right, so how do you move the needle? Is, I know you talked about education, is it as simple as that?
1: Well, I think, so we've, we have historically and continue to pursue kind of a four-pronged approach to growth and it's not that complicated. First is we're really building a brand and that's really our right to play um, we operate so differently from many companies, and the products we bring to market are so different that we um, have to communicate that value in order to be able to have get credit for that value. yeah um, so marketing is is job number one, and it's the velocities that we generate at retail that buys us permission to be in more and more stores, which is sort of the the next area of of our growth strategy, which is getting into new stores mm-hmm. and getting more of our existing items into. Into stores uh, that we're already in, we're, we only have under four uh, average items per store across yeah. our network of sixteen thousand doors, but we've got uh, over twenty items available. So, and then finally, yeah, I think we have an opportunity to introduce um, new, you know, potentially new products in the future, which I think will focus primarily on the value-added dairy segment for the for the near future.
0: Well, and I just got about a minute left. Where do you want to go? What are the new products that you guys are thinking about? Where do you go?
1: So the You know, for us, it's all about fit, fit with mission, fit with ethics, fit with our values, fit with the potential to Mm -hmm. provide meaningful shareholder returns. And so that part of the store we know well, you mentioned shopping the perimeter. Mm -hmm. We know that dairy set. We know the dairy buyer. We know the farmer. And we know cold chain. And so we'll continue to focus in that area of the store, I think, before we go further afield.
0: Okay. You're not going to be more specific, are you?
1: (laughs) Oh uh, well, lots more to come this year. We launched our first multi-ingredient item. It's called Egg Bites. Yeah, if I see you that. Eat meat item. We're really pleased with the results so far, and uh, you know that's one area that we'll continue to explore, which is more of a value-added and and ready-to-eat or on-the-go uh, convenience
0: item. So stay tuned. And listen, just one real quickly. Will you continue to do it alone? Do, can you? Would you prefer to do it that way? You just got about twenty-five, thirty seconds. Do it alone. Meaning, not hook up with another major company?
1: Oh, well, you know, I think we've really focused on building this company for long-term sustainability. And that means building real you know, real capabilities internally. I think we have a right to organic growth and we'll continue to focus there.
0: Listen, stay in touch. I'd love to hear more as you guys grow and continue um, because it's certainly a growing area within the consumer base that this is what customers want. Um, So really great to check in with you, Russell. Thank you so much. Russell Diaz-Canseco, he is president and CEO at Vital Farms, joining us on the phone from Austin, Texas.